Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm your host, ML Track. Today's show is brought to you by Red Carpet Rocks and the Kenneth J. Lane Collection. Today's author is Linwood Jackson. Jackson, if I can talk today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Of course. I love talking to authors and you have several books out. So which was your first? Perfecting Reforming Personal Religion. Very, very first, 2017, 2018. And what led you to write it? It was the need for self-knowledge um, and knowledge of love. Self-knowledge on love, I'll just put it that way. So, you know, uh, recogni- recognizing that there is um, some sort of innate lacking mm-hmm. that I saw in other people and also within myself in a very major way. And that lacking had to do with a, a very high and intricate knowledge of love. That's what led me to want to investigate what the definition of love is, not from a personal, societal, or Western, worldly point of view, but just what is this? Because it's not romantic. It's not, you know, organizational. It's not communal. There's mm-hmm. something more, more intimate about love and its definition in the human context. That's what led me to write this first book. Right. We, we talk about love, but what is it really? I mean, we talk about it as an emotion, but it's not really an emotion. It's It's something that we need to find within ourselves in order for us to express to other people. And that's, that's sort of, um, that led me to my conclusion, the definition of love. When you get out of the Western tradition that we're used to just being enforced to adopt. Mm -hmm. The Eastern, the Eastern way of living is sort of more human and more for not self as is the West, but for other. Right. So, you know, the definition of love, because my, my roots and my foundation of my philosophy, it comes from the Bible, which has been transformed into a Western book, but it is originally written by Eastern philosophical minds. The, the definition of love turns out to be edification. So when you are loving, you're edifying. When you are loved, you are edified. To love is to edify. And so it became, how do you edify? What is edification? What necessarily does one have to do or be in order to get to that point of where their love is not simply just love dictionary, it's love edification universal. Right. We go to, in the Western world here in America, we go to self-gratification, insta-gratification, and we fall in and out of love within seconds. It's insane. If, yes. you, if you go to India or other countries over there, everything is for 
long periods of time. It's a life lesson. We always go to loving ourselves to expand outward, loving family, loving each other. It's everyone helps everyone. And that's sort of where that very first book led me to in my branch of study, which is perfecting and reforming your personal devotional character which is contrary to what religion would have you do because religion in a sense makes you hide from yourself mm -hmm. to adopt the conscience or the belief of other philosophers. So what the Bible teaches is actually to get away from religion slowly, patiently, um, abstinence from the, from the mind that is within the religious world, which is self-centered, um, which is you must do something to please a divine eye or you must in a sense believe you are that divine eye, which both are fallacies leading us into that false sense of love. Right. Which you brought up earlier or just now. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that is when you can get away from that, when you can exercise abstinence from, from those, those contexts, you can then create your own context and the creation of your own context for you to live by a devotional means that is comfortable to your character and that's not put on you by another character, that's where the, you move from edification to now defining liberty. And so now you have liberty to edify and to be edified according to your human being. And that's, that's what this first book is about. And that's really what you know, all of my books touch on. Well, all of your books touch on and you have a, your, a unique writing style for your books. And when you go to a unique writing style, so it's, it's not modernized or it's not point A or point B, you're doing it yourself. You're telling the stories as you see it. Now you're teaching people. Now you're trying to open their minds to something different from what we've been taught in the Western society. Which is, um, it's interesting and it's, it's enlightening. Mm -hmm because I can tell, I, I actually, I debated with myself whether or not I should even put my findings out there publicly. But the more that I realized that I was benefiting from what I was learning and that I was learning that I am not, not right in my heart or in my mind and in the experience that I've gone through for the past 21 years, because 21, 22, that's when I really started digging into the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's so like, if I'm feeling this way, and if I'm really learning about this, this other wave, this other frequency of being, and it's not meshing with who I know I am within, and yet there's a, there's a, a mind within this, 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 this human that conflicts with the mind that is you know, within the inner part of that human. So there's two conflicting minds. And if I'm going through this conflict, and if I'm learning ways of alleviation, then there are others on this planet going through very worse things than me. Mm -hmm. So I, I just decided to, you know, put my experiences down and put my findings down and make them more open. And it's been beneficial because the relief that I'm, I'm finding is that this Western type of traditional living that we're used to, the European landscape of life, it's, it's wearing, it's wearing us down. And the, the, Point of view from the eastern philosophical mind of of being which exists you know it exists you can go to 
you know, you can go to um, Hinduism, you can go to Buddhism, mm -hmm. you know, but this necessarily, what the Bible is teaching, doesn't make you a Buddha. It doesn't make you a, a one who is liberated for self, by self, through self. You know, the whole point of that liberation is for you to understand that you are a human being, yes, but that as a human being, you are connected to a, a, a creator. You are a creation. You did not create yourself. Right. When you can, when you can know that you are a creation, then that's when the, the aspect of edification reaches another level and then you can treat others as if they are creations, inspiring them to know that they are creations. Exactly. We have to look, I have a degree in religious studies, so I have studied all religions and I have my own personal beliefs in religion because what you're taught in the Western world or taught in one set religion may not be what you think once you go through all the religions yeah. so you're told that you know you can't teach this to other people you don't want to enlighten people to what you think because it's wrong it's automatically wrong and it's not that it's wrong it's another way of thinking or approaching in order to love other people and that's the block you know that's 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 the block when you because that's literally how religion is designed. It's not, it's designed um, for a purpose to keep you entrenched mm -hmm. and put up with your own self. So you and that philosophy, you have to remain in that paradigm. If you are not going to remain in that paradigm and you are not going to allow anybody else into that paradigm for whatever reasons you would have them let in or let out, Mm -hmm. that's going to affect your character and that's the root issue is character religion makes you believe that you are it and no matter what the religious belief is no matter what the whatever the cause or whatever it is at the end of the religion it should be human and at the beginning of the religion it should be mind if mind at the beginning cannot meet human at the end what's in between is going to turn the human being into something very irrational and something very discontent, which is what a majority say about people that are so self-centered into religion is that they're the worst people on earth. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have so many people that say they're this religion or that religion and they hide behind the religion because they're not happy. So they turn on other people and they cause so much discontent and so much war because they're not happy with whatever they're thinking the religion is. And so that's the issue. The issue isn't religion at all. The issue, religion is like, um, you know, religion is like milk. Do you like milk or not? Mm -hmm. No matter what, milk is gonna be milk. Religion is always gonna be religion. Mm -hmm. The issue is your preference. The issue is you. And so religion is a branch that you know, we have to realize that we're not it. Basketball is a branch. Sports is a branch. Cooking is a branch. Dance is a branch. All of these are branches. And, you know, some of them, the more you speak to the people that are in them, they take on the fact that they are that branch and they can be so not healthy to be around. Yeah, they become toxic. Instead, yes. of, instead of being a bystander on the branch you become yes. the branch and now you have to force your ideologies onto other people 
and tell them all their ideologies are wrong. Well, it's not wrong. We're on the branch. We're not part of the branch because we're not trying to be the word of the tree. We are trying to be part of the tree. And the, and the really secret scary part is, is that neither the tree nor the branch exists. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the scary part. Yeah. And, and that's it really what I, I dig into because what the, of what the Bible teaches. And the way that the Bible gets that across is it uses the illustration of the crucifixion, which is made popular by Western religious uh, tradition, but it's taken out of context. The correct way to understand that from way the, the Bible teaches it is that that body that's crucified doesn't represent a man, doesn't represent a human being. It's a figurative illustration that has been drawn on from, as you know, it says repeatedly, the ministers who foresaw, or they call them prophets, what should take place then. So the first apostles rationalized what was taking place, not literally, but figuratively. And so that body that was crucified, it represents a specific religious philosophy a philosophy that can um, categorize what a, I guess, quote unquote, true and what a quote unquote, false religious experience is. Crucifixion of that body represents the crucifixion of a false religious philosophy that depends on baptisms, rites, rituals, routines, creeds, um, theories, and doctrines, and feast celebrations, holy or holidays to be participated in and believed on in order to feel that you are one with a specific community and that you have a light shed on you by that specific divine eye. And to do this is to please both the community and that eye for whatever you imagine yourself to receive presently and when you're after, after death. The Bible lets us know that none of this is true. And the illustration shown by the crucifixion of that body represents this fact. And being that representative, the illustration continues itself by a resurrection of that body which is again, figurative, not literal, which illustrates the, the rising of the, the religious conversation or, or the devotional conscience from that former way of thinking to a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking without the mind that was formerly had. So now instead of taking your rites and baptisms and listening to the handwritten um, ordinances and commandments and theories of former theologians, now the experience belongs to you. You now must get lost in the experience. You now must control the experience. You now must create the experience. You now must command the experience to talk to you. You now must become the garden. And you now have to be the soil and learn what it is like to feel growth from out of soil. That's the experience that, that, that is the correct one that the Bible teaches. And that's really what we should be aiming for. We have to get we're better than this as human beings we are better than just following a leader we are all a leader for our own selves we cannot blindly listen to one person and think this person has all the answers i have to follow them if they you don't believe in this one person i have to do you harm because you don't believe in said a b or c Well, that's not what we need to teach. We need to teach acceptance, but we need to teach that that one, if we're going out to do harm to someone else, we're not in the right soil, on the right branch, on the right road, whatever metaphor you want to use. We have to grow as humans. 
as a society. And that's where my most recent book, uh, Justification, comes in. Because I wanted to attack this term specifically just because it's taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And because the, the illustration that's used by the Western rendering of what is within the Bible takes that phrase to be just as if one has never sinned. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of playing off of the mythology that the Christian religion kind of gets into and feeds the audience or its, its adherent, as opposed to what the Bible teaches. And the Bible actually teaches a, a very real reality that the definition of sin, the definition of justification, the definition of knowledge, all of this I include into this book because of feedback and comments and, and emails and messages I've, I've been getting from the message I put out of you know what is the Bible saying about this. And just as you're saying, everything that you're saying has to do absolutely with us taking a personal knowledge of what we expect devotionally. There's an expectation that's given to us from birth. There's an expectation that religion holds to it of an experience that we should be having or an experience that we should believe is emerging. Uh, but you know, aside from all of that, you know, that's good. Let, let that be for who it will be. But within each and every single one of us, there is an emerging vision of a person that we all see. And when you get so seeped into who you imagine yourself to be and not to be, that, that emerging person will continue to haunt and continue to nag until it is, it's present. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a specific you know, point of knowledge and understanding who you are and through your devotional experience to give birth to that, that emerging devotional character, to that emerging personal mind, that's what matters. Right. How many of us as children were taken to churches and we walked away from the church growing up because it wasn't resonating within ourselves or what we're being taught by our parents, by our whoever's leading the church, depending on which religion you're talking about. It's being said or done in a way that says, oh, no, you can't grow up to be a free thinker. You can't be this you can't be this this is a sin this is not a sin no it has to go to a personal belief we cannot force our beliefs on it onto someone else we and have that, to take yeah. the journey ourselves that is that's that's it and i i like to give the illustration of of um a pregnant woman mm-hmm. each and every single one of us when we have a, a specific belief that we have we're pregnant we're pregnant with that, that confidence, we're pregnant with that assurance, we're, we're pregnant with that devotional mind. But it just so happens that depending on what institution we go into, depending on the level of fear we have, depending on us not wanting to discover that journey, we remain pregnant until we die. Mm-hmm. Like literally, there's like, you know, for example, someone a couple of months ago purchased like my audiobook and, and said, how am I supposed to, after 65 years of living, now change the way that I am. Like, I, I don't want to do that. Like, like what is this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got, you've got us. We're, we've got a, a being, a mind. A mind lives within this human being. This human being is, is created fraudulent. It's created fractured. And it's created fractured because that's just our mission, 
our mission is to not be human. Our mission is to learn how to be human, mm-hmm. which sounds maybe bad or different, but being <laughs> human and learning to be human are very, very two different things. It's not two different things. It's changing your mindset from how we're taught yes. to where we need to ascend to be. And what is innately, innately, there is no innate instruction within us. The only instruction that is within us is what we think is right, Mm -hmm. which in a sense, you know, unless you go through experience, you realize that everything that you think you do is not okay. And unless you can be so close to somebody and that you can have their vibe react off of what you do, you can maybe, if you have a mind, realize that what you're doing is not okay based on the, the effect on another's thoughts and feelings. So we're created with no instruction within this human being, but within this human being is a mind born for instructing that human being. That mind is supposed to, when it's cultivated, instruct our human being that our human being can then ascend, as you said, you know, industrially, personally, devotionally, as in affection, as in empathy, as in everything that goes with simply being human and not necessarily a human being. Exactly. We have to look at our mind. Our minds are completely blank when we're born. We are, we trust our minds to our elders, our parents, our grandparents, whoever is raising us to teach us right from wrong. Well, well, then we get onto the toddler stage and we're going to teachers and we're going to religious icons we're going to teaching us right from wrong well then you have the negative on this that we also interact with that is already on the wrong path because of their own beliefs and i say wrong path because they're doing harm to others because that's how they feel good and that's trend (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) Like literally like that's just that's just natural trend like there is nothing that we can do mm-hmm. to get out of that except you know change our mindset there it is when there is a level of awareness to realize that i'm more than this body mm-hmm. when there's more than even a level of awareness to understand that i'm more than just a reaction of chemicals which is you know, doesn't explain how you can, for example, have emotion if you're simply just a reaction of chemicals. So the fact that you can not only have emotion, but sense emotion, this should let us know that we are more than what we physically appear to be and that what we feel and think we are. That level of consciousness in that journey, as you're saying, that's the journey of, of justification. And justification in the sense, um, you know, when I do my, my writing, my studying, I translate the words uh, from English into Greek and then from Greek, Hebrew, back into English, reconstruct the sentences just to make sense of what the minds were saying. This, the definition of justification is a clearing of your mind devotionally. The issue within the Bible is, is the definition of sin, but the definition of sin within the Bible is not secular. As we, would, as we would see the sin is, or as the Christian religion would have us believe sin is secular. The definition of sin within the Bible has everything to do with devotional error. Whatever is devotionally erroneous with us having a very intimate experience and fellowship 
with our creator and with the science of that creator and with our understanding that science to demonstrate it and to have it become us, that is the definition of sin. And so with that definition and with that experience, the transformation of mind is just a cycle and a recycle of learning and of unlearning. And it comes down to a willingness to persevere through seeing yourself as fraudulent first and seeing the people around you who you have had faith in and who you still continue to have faith in despite you understanding that what they believe may be false and that what they have taught you is false, coming to a realization that you have to move on from them and from that. And that you have to, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, create. Our lens is created. Each and every single one of us have a world that we see that is in individually dependent on our existence. What you see through your lens, that's not my existence. What I see through my lens, what everyone sees through their lens, it's literally not our existence. Everyone's perception is their reality. And that's the beauty, but that's also the problem. Mm -hmm. Because it's a problem when our reality is dictated by uncultured or uncultivated thoughts and feelings. So that reality changes if my human condition is not nurtured by an intelligence that is benevolent, that is empathic, that is kind towards myself and towards another, and kind towards myself in the sense of edifying and edifying towards another. That reality is a completely different reality from that lens that is uncultured. The cultured lens, that's that, that experience where, you know, I'm not okay. And I'm not only gonna accept that I'm not okay, I'm going to learn why I'm not okay, how I got this way, and what principles I can apply to be okay. And I also need to understand that my okayness hasn't really resulted from that much physicality, but a lot of mental and inward disturbance. So that's to let me know that my experience and what I'm feeling is connected to an experience that is not physical, that is entirely mental also. So if I can connect to that mentality beyond my sense and my sphere, and if I can connect to that mind, and, I've, and if I can know that mind's you know, science from my well-being, and if I can practice that, that's how that change and, and shift in the you scope of things happens. That is perfectly legit. I mean, we all look at, we talk about a lens. We all see the lens. We all see through the lens, and that's our reality. Well, now we're taking our reality and taking it to the digital yeah. and taking our reality through the lens, looking at it through a camera lens now and going, yeah. this is correct. This information that I'm sharing is 100% correct. Well, we don't see the 10 seconds before that or the two minutes before that. We see through that person's reality in that moment. We don't see the reality from before that. And we listen to one voice and we automatically go to, this is wrong. So I have to cause harm to someone else because whatever I'm seeing is now wrong. Well, it's not that we have to stop, go back to our reality, go back to what we think is right or wrong, rather if we're right or wrong ourselves and look at it from both points of view. 
then we have to ascend to a proper reality that can coexist with everyone without doing harm. Man, that's, that's just the highest form of intelligence that I believe exists mm-hmm. is benevolence. And I want to say empathy, but I want to separate benevolence from empathy. When I say benevolence, I'm coming at it from the, the definition of you being kind, not in feeling and not physically, but in mentality and also in the inward person. So everything that you just said to me is the highest form of intelligence that we should aim to and that I am still studying to and that I write about so that everyone who reads something from me can know a piece of something that they can apply to for that purpose. We have to ascend. We cannot stay in this mentality that we all know the same thing. Well, we don't. We have to ascend to a greater knowledge. We have to ascend to a greater understanding, empathy. We have to ascend to help and love others. And the way that you frame that is just was, was perfect because so often we believe, I know that I believe when I first put my material out there that it was going to be, you know, thought of because it was, in, it was knowledge that other people could take as information and decode and do this and do that. But that's really not the response that is, is there because when you put knowledge out there that challenge already, that challenge is already believed mm-hmm. and philosophical knowledge, um, quote unquote, accredited information that actually gets people away from other knowledge. But what I found is that the ability, as you just said it, the ability to take who you envision yourself to be and who you envision yourself to emerge as through your experience and can can link and connect with another's emerging vision of themselves and can commune from that aspect of a future developing self and a future developing devotional character that is shared, having the same goals, that's how the spirit of edification can take place. That's how knowledge is no longer knowledge. That's how understanding becomes refinement. That's how edification can then transcend the ladders of hum- human kindness and of humanity to get to the point of benevolence, going past empathy, right straight to, I would even say benevolent empathy. So there's a combined work of us taking care of another's mind while also taking care of the feelings that they're going through in their experience with what they have been cultivating and what, with what they are trying to unlearn. And in the sense, having the same experience within us from what they're sharing. And what you just said is just perfect because that's just the way it should be. It should be the way of, we are communing not because I know something more than you, you are loving me and respecting me not because you think I know something more than you because we have this same shared vision of wholeness as human and as devotional creatures that is what allows us to then hear one another and to take in that that dialogue and to adjust our lifestyle whether it's positive or negative Mm -hmm. to what we're hearing and that's that's that shift that you mentioned earlier. 
and you just said it perfectly. Thank you. But we are almost out of time, believe it or uh, not. Yeah, 30 minutes goes <laughs> by quickly. Where can our viewers and our listeners find you and your books? can find me on um, YouTube or just Google me, uh, Linwood Jackson Jr., L-I-N, Linwood Jackson Jr., just Google me. I'll pop up with everything, or you can go to my website, linwoodjacksonjr.com. Everything about me and about my books, about everything, it's there, and you could see videos. You can um, read book descriptions. My books take you right to Amazon. If you have any um, inquiries, my email is right there. I receive messages and I respond um, happily and gladly. So, oh yeah, authors love responding to our readers because this is how we grow and how we ascend. Because if you guys don't respond to us, we don't know what to write next. <laughs> we don't know what steps to go next. What we need to work on. What we need to grow ourselves. So we it's always respond true. to you. Very true. So true. So many of my even the books I publish, there's books that I want to publish, but then I don't publish it just because of so many comments that I have of a specific subject. So it's like, I want to publish this, but I'm getting feedback that this is more necessary than what I want to publish. So mm -hmm. I'm going to publish this. Well, sometimes we publish two or three books at the same time because it's we get true. so much <laughs> feedback going on that true. we can't stagger. We need to put mass overload into society to help others. It's very true. And I've done that. It's very, you're not even lying. You're really not even <laughs> lying right now. It's very true. Well, coming from an author to another author, I kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. And for all of our viewers and our listeners, happy reading. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.